Our scripture this morning will be from first, Second Samuel chapter 7. Let's ask God to lead us and teach us as I read. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you over the years it has withstood your purposes and you will use it to bring about your kingdom here on earth. Thank you that we have it written. We ask that you help us to hear and to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The word of the Lord. It was just over uh, a year ago uh, that we made the decision as a church, after 55 years of renting on campus, uh, that we were being called to purchase uh, this, this property here on, on Blackhawk Avenue. And uh, my own sense is that having a space to, to call our own has been uh, such an amazing uh, blessing and an opportunity to further our mission as a church. It's given us a new sense of of stability and, and purpose in this neighborhood and, and in Madison. 
Uh, we're still learning a lot and uh, making plans for how we can be good stewards of, of what God has, has given to us. Our building team actually meets this Wednesday and we'll be reviewing some plans and uh, proposals from our architect about ways in which we might renovate this sanctuary and, and other spaces uh, here on the first floor of the building. So I encourage you to be praying uh, for, for that team uh, as they're led by Bill Monti and, and Nate Bosher and, and Joel Anderson with, with many other people helping. Uh, please uh, lift them up uh, in this week. Uh, some of you may recall that when we made uh, this decision to purchase the property, I told our leaders, I, I think I said this in a congregational meeting as well, uh, but I, I know I told our leaders that they needed to know uh, that I am passionate about building faith, uh, I am passionate about building community, uh, but I am not passionate about building buildings. <laughs> and uh, I felt strongly then, and, and I, I still feel the same way now, that, that my calling is as a pastor, and that's what I need to stay focused on. And, and so I'm so thankful for the, so many people and for our building team who have really been pouring uh, energy into uh, caring for and, and stewarding uh, this space. And, and I've been able to focus on being a pastor over the last eight or nine months. Um, and it's confirmed for me, really, my conviction that having clarity about what God has called to, to as individuals uh, and as communities, and, and what God has not called us to, is one of the most important things that uh, any of us can consider. We can do a lot of damage to ourselves and to other people when we take on things that God has not called us to do, or we allow those things to take us away from what God has called us to. And we need clarity about what responsibilities belong to us and which ones uh, we need to allow others to use their gifts uh, to accomplish uh, what God has given to them. So we're in the middle of a series on the life of David, and our text today uh, presents us with something very similar in the life of David. Uh, David, at this moment, the beginning of the text, believed that he was called to do something. Right? He was going to build God's temple. And even the prophet Nathan believed that David was called to do it. But this was not God's plan for David. And God tells him no. So there are three things that we need to see here today. First, we need to see what David wants. Second, how God responds when he says no. And third, why God's no is good news. Good news for David, good news for us. So let's begin with what David wants. We find David today in 2 Samuel 7 at the pinnacle of his achievements. He's reached the top. He's conquered all of his enemies. His rule is established. He's the king. There are no more threats from the surrounding nations. He's built his palace, his house in Jerusalem. And now the question is, what's next? Where should he go from here? What's the next big thing? So he calls Nathan the prophet, and he says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. The Hebrew word here uh, for house 
Uh, it can mean palace, but it can also mean temple. It just depends on the context, how it's translated. So the, the implication here is clear. And David is saying, uh, I want to build a house for God. It's not right that I have this great house uh, made of cedar, and God is still in this old tent that's been moving around from place to place over all these years. Uh, and this seems like a good thing. And David has been so successful David, go in everything that he has done that the prophet just says, uh, sure, David, go for it. Do whatever uh, you want. Uh, go, do all that is in your heart, uh, for the Lord is with you. He's sure God will bless uh, whatever David wants to do. Now, we know what's going to happen. God is going to tell Nathan, no, this is not what David is supposed to do. He was about to rush into something that was not meant for him. David here shows us something important about how the human heart works. We are desiring creatures. And our hearts are always directing us towards the object of our desire. In his book, uh, You Are What You Love, which I highly recommend, uh, the author, Jamie Smith, describes human beings as existential sharks. I love that image, existential sharks. We're always moving towards some goal, some vision of the good life that will fulfill us and give us peace. I think this, this image of being an existential shark, it, it captures something of our hunger for the goal of our lives, but it also captures this sense of movement, that we're always moving towards one goal or another. And often when we've reached a goal, when we've achieved some great accomplishment, it doesn't take us long to move on to the next one. You know what this is like. Uh, you may have worked hard to uh, graduate from high school or, or college or achieve some career milestone or just get to some place in your life that you've always dreamed about. And once you get there, for a while, maybe a few days or weeks, uh, you have a sense of satisfaction. You've made it. But then you wonder, what's next? Your, your sense of accomplishment doesn't last, or, or you're filled with anxiety that you may lose the thing that you've worked so hard to achieve. You can be at the top of whatever ladder you've been climbing, like King David, and still be discontent and dissatisfied. Jim Carrey, the, the comedian, uh, once said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is a hard truth for us to accept. David is not meant to do everything that he dreams. Neither is he meant to do everything that other people dream for him, like Nathan. Building a temple for God is, is a good thing, but that doesn't mean that David is the one to do it. This scene shows us the kind of careful discernment that is necessary as we consider what we're called to do, even or, or especially when we want to do something for God. 
David's vision for, for building the temple is a good thing. But when he assumes that he must be the one to do it, he and Nathan must be corrected. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So let's, let's consider then how God responds to David. Uh, he says no, but there are two parts to God's no here. God tells David uh, something uh, about who he is and something about what he does. And in the rest of our time today, I want to look at, at both of these, uh, beginning with who God is. In verses 5 to 7, God tells Nathan to inform David that he doesn't need the temple that David is offering to build. Now, he says, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, God has never asked for a temple, so why would David think that he needs one now? In the words of uh, Robert Alter, God himself will build a house when he is good and ready. God's response uh, tells us more than just what he expects for David to do or not to do. It also teaches us something about the God of the Bible. Uh, this God is not dependent on human beings to meet his needs. And this sets him apart, uh, especially in the ancient world, uh, where the gods and goddesses of that world were represented by idols dwelling in temples, and the task of human beings every day was to feed and care for those idol gods. By insisting that he does not need a temple like those other gods, the Lord is setting himself apart from them. God does not need human beings. But at the same time, this does not make him indifferent to them. Instead, it highlights his freedom to give to human beings unconditionally. Notice what the Lord says in verse 6. I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt. And in verse 8, he says to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. If God is the one who takes the initiative in redemption and in calling, then you don't need to do something great for God. You simply must be faithful to whatever he has called you to be and to do, no matter how great or small it may appear to be. When you believe in a God like this, who has everything that he needs in himself and yet gives freely to his creatures, then you know that everything that you have, everything that you've received, is a gift of grace. And our response is always based in gratitude that we have received a gift that we have not earned and could never achieve for ourselves. And if God is like this, then we can trust that whatever role he has for us to play in his plan, 
We don't have to compare ourselves to others. Pete Cazero uh, shares a story uh, about the Hasidic rabbi, Rabbi Zusia. On his deathbed, he began to cry uncontrollably, and his students and his disciples tried hard to comfort him. They asked him, Rabbi, why do you weep? You are almost as wise as Moses. You are almost as hospitable as Abraham, and surely heaven will judge you favorably. And Zusia answered them, it is true, when I get to heaven, I won't worry so much if God asks me, Zeusia, why were you not more like Abraham? Or Zeusia, why were you not more like Moses? I know what I, would, what I would be able to answer to these questions. But what will I say when God asks me, Zeusia, why were you not more like Zeusia? As Francis Schaeffer said, we must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight, there are no little people and no little places. Only one thing is important, to be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment. This is an invitation, an invitation to make our aim not pleasing other people, not even pleasing ourselves, but pleasing God, knowing that he is already pleased with us. When we have this mindset, we don't have to hold tightly uh, to whatever we think needs to be done. We can look for his guidance in all things. We can cultivate a holy indifference. And that's what we want to pursue together, especially as we think about this upcoming retreat next weekend. What, what does it mean to cultivate a, a holy indifference? As you came in today, uh, you received a prayer guide uh, that you're invited to use this week. Uh, whether you can attend the retreat or not, I would, I would encourage you to join us in prayer. And on the first page of that handout, uh, you'll find a brief introduction, and I love how the goal is described there. It says, the goal in this season, this season of prayer, is to be as open as possible to word and spirit so we practice something called holy indifference. We seek to be indifferent to anything but God's heart and will as we hear it in word and prayer. This is so important because it's in prayer that we listen not only for God's yes, but also for God's no. And this brings us to our, our final point today, why hearing God's no uh, can be good news uh, for us and, and for David. Throughout 2 Samuel 7, we find a play on the word house. We saw earlier that in Hebrew, house can mean palace, uh, it can mean temple, but it also has a third meaning. It can refer to a dynasty. A king's house is also his ancestral line, uh, his lineage, his dynasty. David wants to build a house for God, a temple, but in response, God says in verse 11, no, I will build a house for you. The Lord will make you a house. God will give him a lineage unlike any that has ever existed before in Israel. David is prevented from doing what he thought he needed to do for God. And instead, God does for him abundantly more than he could ever imagine. Verses uh, 10 to 16 are a litany of the promises that David makes, or that, that God makes to David. He says that he will appoint a place for his people. 
He will plant them. He will give them a place to dwell and not be disturbed. He will give them rest. He will establish a kingdom and a throne. Above all, he promises that his steadfast love will never depart from the line of David. Christians believe that this promise to David is fulfilled ultimately in the Messiah, Jesus. He is the descendant of David and the true son of God. As the angel announced to Mary in Luke 1, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Friends, this is good news for us today. Uh, when we receive the gift of our own limits and respect the ways in which God has called us to serve others, we are free to be the people that God calls us to be. You only have to be yourself. You don't have to be anyone else. And this is also true for God. God is free to be, he, be who he desires to be for us. He will be the one to fulfill our deepest longings and give us rest. God offers a satisfaction that is not based on your efforts to achieve it, but on what he has done for you. And this changes your perspective. It gives you a new identity that's not based on your performance. It's not based on your accomplishments or your conduct. It's an identity based on grace, the gift of God's promises and love for you. And when you embrace this kind of grace-based identity, it frees you from the demands of other people. You can disappoint people and not feel ashamed. But it also frees you from the demands of yourself. When we look inside our hearts, we find all sorts of competing desires, always pulling us in one direction or in another. But when we rest in God's grace, we allow him to shape us in faith and hope and love. As St. Augustine prayed, O oh Lord, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The gospel invites us to believe that our acceptance is not based on our faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. Salvation could never come to the world from anything that David might do for God. It can only come through what God would do for David. And that's what we find in the gospel. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. In him, you are given an identity that is not based on your performance. This means that you can have a place uh, standing apart from the pressures of other people, from yourself, to achieve some great accomplishment. When you fall short, you have a source of love and grace that will never depart from you. And as you look to the future, you can be sure that no matter what happens, Jesus is on the throne, that you will be with him forever. For Christians, faith doesn't direct us inward, but outward. Through faith, we look away from ourselves to the promises of God and what he has won for us in the person and work of Jesus. And when you place your trust in him, you're standing on the foundation that he has established 
the fulfillment of all his promises. So Jesus says to you today, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we do look to you today, uh, confessing uh, all the ways in which we are tempted uh, to serve ourselves, to serve others, uh, rather than to serve you. And we pray that you would give us such a, a clarity and a conviction in your calling and in your goodness and your love uh, that we would find our fulfillment and our satisfaction in you alone. And that through that, through our commitment to you, uh, we would be truly free to love as you love, uh, to serve as you serve, and to give as you give. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.